This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. It is the week after the Oscars and we are still going talking about the Oscars and what an Oscars it is to discuss. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com. I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> is that I like, try, I'm trying to do something Adele? different. That was Lionel Richie. Oh, of course. Yeah. Hello. Way back. <laughs> Also on the phone, Joanna Robinson, Vanity Fair senior writer. Hi, Katie. I'm sorry I'm not singing. It's a little anticlimactic, you. Joanna. I know. know. <laughs> I might want to try a little harder. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. So, guys, I think we were going to try to use this episode to move on to maybe looking at the year ahead and making some bold predictions for next year. But there's so much to talk about from this year's Oscars. The fallout from Envelope Gate, or whatever you want to call it, continues. There's an article in The Hollywood Reporter today as we record this where producer Mike DeLuca said it was the Hindenburg, which is... Yeah. A lot. That's about right. When we talked about this last early Monday morning, I think PricewaterhouseCoopers had released an apology, but we've learned so much since then. Joanna, what's the best detail you think has come from all of this? It's got to be that the PricewaterhouseCoopers accountant who was responsible for handing the wrong envelope to Warren Beatty tweeted a photo of Emma Stone just before he did it yeah. and then deleted all of his tweets after he was told not to tweet from backstage and he tweeted like a photo of the briefcase with the envelopes and a photo of Viola Davis and a photo of Emma Stone so he was starstruck backstage at the Oscars and wound up I'm going to put it all on him wound up causing the biggest snafu in Oscar history. Honestly, there's no other choice. That's the right choice. Wait, wait, wait. No, but the fact that it's emerged since then that he is a self-described Matt Damon lookalike I know. That's my favorite detail about him because a lot of people are making Matt Damon jokes because of the whole Jimmy Kimmel, Matt Damon feud. So they're like, because the guy bears like a passing resemblance to a Matt Damon who has maybe not had Hollywood take care of him his whole life. Um, (laughs) Like someone was like, oh, it's Matt Damon in disguise trying to, you know, foul up Jimmy Kimmel or someone's saying it's Matt Damon's looper from the future. Come back to like. It's the fact that the guy like rides on the lookalike thing. Like if he. Yeah, but you know what? Okay, there is is an epidemic in our society. Oh, my God. Okay? And this is reflective of it. Everybody being so unbelievably thirsty for attention mm-hmm. because everyone's yes. afraid that they have to create their own personal brand. That yep. they can't. It's not enough to just do your job anymore. You have to be seen in public doing your job all the time. Anyway, yep. that's the epidemic. Yeah. And everybody, and especially in LA, everybody you meet is like, are you building your personal brand enough? Like, are you, why aren't you tweeting pictures of people You just backstage? got back from 10 days in LA. I can see it really had an impact no, on you. No, I mean, it does. Yeah. And and if you read Rebecca Keegan's newsletter yesterday, she said Gary Natoli, who is the stage manager of the Oscars, whom she describes affectionately as a human Xanax, he usually hands out the envelopes, but yes. this year Brian Cullinan decided, well, wait a minute, I'm the Matt Damon lookalike who needs to be tweeting pictures and handing out the envelopes because everyone needs to see that I'm the Price Waterhouse accountant and this is my time to shine. And how else am I going to build my personal brand? Well, 
you now have a personal brand for the rest of your life as the guy who did the Hindenburg (laughs) at the Oscars. I do have to say the Academy later reached out to Rebecca and said that even though she has seen that guy with the envelopes, that according to the Academy, he was just checking the envelopes in the past and that the accountants have already done it. Oh, okay. The logic there is a little fuzzy, but Rebecca Rebecca saw what she saw. One quarter of the way. Yeah, no, this guy clearly uh, really stepped in it. But I feel like they should give that job to the stage manager. Now, I feel like... I feel like they're going to give the job to, like, four stage managers and, like, four people will check the envelopes yeah. to uh, make sure that they're the right I keep one. thinking that... Well, I know there's a security issue, but I keep thinking the envelopes thing is just not the way to go anymore. Maybe it should be a digital envelope. I don't know. There An iPad? To, yeah, I don't know. If it's know. on the teleprompter, it's going to get hacked. Yeah, that's the, yeah, there's true. a very good reason not to do the teleprompter. Basically, with the envelopes, like two people see it. Those accountants have seen the envelopes. They memorized the list, which was a fascinating thing that I learned. Both of those people knew that Moonlight had one best picture. So the minute it was announced, they knew that it was the wrong one, which, again, makes you wonder why it took two and a half minutes to correct it. If you want to keep an award secret, write it down in a piece of paper. <laughs> oh, no. and get it to okay. personally, okay? Two, two other details. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's getting, <laughs> like, creepy good now. Two, two of my other favorite details are, if you watch the tape again, the last La La Land producer to give his speech clearly gives his speech after he already oh, realized yeah. Yeah. that they had lost which I didn't realize at first. And like, I don't know, what would you do? <laughs> well, Richard, you were asking on Twitter, like why Jordan Horowitz became kind of this folk hero for what he did. And I thought it was because that second producer, I think it's Mark Platt. I don't want to misidentify him, but that, yeah, he started, that he started speaking knowing that they had lost and was kind of like, I don't know what he was really going for. And that then Jordan Horowitz stepped in to, set the, record in to set the record straight. That was where I thought he really kind of shone. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just joining you guys from the bathroom. I was uh, Christine Lottie style. So that, that's why you have <laughs> Heard, heard my voice. You won Best Actress, Richard. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Yay. Um, yeah, I think there's been some controversy because Damien Chazelle and Barry Jenkins are on the cover of Variety, yeah. their, their post-Oscar thing. So there's been a lot of talk about like, oh, you know, La La Land seems to have still kind of won, even though it didn't win. And, and Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And um, yeah. in the conversation, and certainly, you know, Ira Madison at MTV and, and other writers who write about black culture a lot are like, wait... <laughs> Moonlight won, guys. Like, like, why are we, yeah. why are we talking about this white hero who like did the decent thing of, oh, I didn't win. Here's your award. You know, so I think there's some controversy, it seems right now about whether or not, but I, no, here I, we go yeah. again. I think that Moonlight got screwed. They should mm-hmm. have had the moment to stand alone. La La Land got screwed. But too. it's not, but like, like, yeah. let's not punish the guy who did the right thing and no, ma- turn him into I, some I, race, I, I like, like villain. I don't think anyone's punishing him. I think it's not him particularly. It's just like the coverage of him. But it's still okay to say a good thing happened here, yeah. like a rare, rare for the first time in but, six months, an actual human behaved <laughs> in a good way. Like, right, you can right, talk but, about it without being racist. I'm pretty sure. I okay, could be wrong. The, but my, but the headlines are, are like, the hero of the Oscars is George. A lot of the headlines okay, well, came about Jordan Horowitz, and corny. I don't think that that's yeah. right. The hero we need right now. Yeah, no, that was literally a headline, yeah, which is much. like, come and, on. And that's that's what people are reacting to, not that he did a good thing. More a media critique. Yeah. Although, I think the perspective that La La Land also won, I mean, like, I mean, last year... six Oscars, well, and won, and it won best, best That's the thing, is, like, Damien Chazelle won Best Director. I mean, like, last year, you think about The Revenant and Spotlight. Everyone remembers that Spotlight won Best Picture, probably, but I think a lot of people still think about The Revenant. Like, yeah. this happens when you split picture and director in this way. Yeah. When Ira Madison from MTV was talking about this variety cover that went up last night of Damien Giselle and Barry Jenkins, both in their suits, both holding their Oscars on the cover, he was like, this is disappointing, this reframing of the narrative. And then Barry Jenkins, who like knows Ira, sort of started tweeting at him. And he's like, listen, I was actually the guest on this cover. Usually it's the best director solo mm. cover. 
Hmm. It's been Alfonso Cuaron. It's been, and last year it was Chivos because that was sort of like the story. It wasn't Spotlight. It was Chivos, who is not a director, but like still it's historically a director. Enritu's been on there. So for Barry to be on there is sort of breaking up a tradition to share the cover with someone. I think Barry has been the real hero oh of class yeah. all throughout yeah. this whole thing. He's Barry the one who would... tweeted about Jordan, yeah, yeah, like, he... realizing, think I'm he... thinking about this, realizing what level of presence and class And he, he did that, like, on the way to our party, probably. Right. Like, it was, like, yeah. very soon after the Oscars. Barry, I yeah. think, has had, we talk about, like, he's our personal friend, although he was on the podcast. No, he just, like, really did it right in this horrible yeah. situation. I mean, I, th- I think everyone did it right. Like, Damien was pretty quiet after the Oscars, and I think sharing that cover with Barry was a good move for him. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um. Well, actually, Katie, also, if someone is on our podcast, they are our best friend forever. No, exactly. <laughs> well, that's... You mean our best friend, Andy Garfield? That's what okay. I've been telling you. I mean, Andy I told Garfield. you that I, I saw Isabel dancing in our party, and she said, tell Richard hello. Oh, good. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think ultimately, you know, if you look at this in a vacuum, everyone did the right thing and everyone did it gracefully and kindly. And you except know, for except for the Matt Damon look like accountant guy who. Well, yeah, no, I mean, well, yeah, him aside. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a villain. Dog he should burn in hell. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think there's just there's been a little bit of a tweak, you know, sort of in the media to kind of try to, you know, pump up Horowitz a little bit more than maybe is necessary but again like you said mike maybe we are just reacting to the fact that like oh look someone did something decent like yeah, that, yeah. which feels rare right yeah now. No, the fact yeah. that he's like i'm proud to give this to my friends from yeah. moonlight like I he mean, it and, was a very nice moment the guy did a good thing and like, it's also you know. like you put yourself in that situation and all you can imagine is yourself doing the most horrible thing right. running off stage with the oscar crying <laughs> like, <laughs> giving your speech even though you know you haven't well, yeah, I don't, yeah i don't blame <laughs> look i mean i was nervous doing our live stream i know in front of it turned out a good number of people but not 38 million people and in fact I think we talked about this but Leslie Mann said on the live stream she had been told before she went out that there were 700 million people watching that's a lie but who knows you know what I mean around the world it might be around the world it might be a huge really huge number and it's like you know in show business the show must go on until you know what's happening just keep going and so it was also kind of a you know, I don't want to turn Jordan Horowitz into a saint or anything, but the fact that he actually did put the brakes on and be like, wait a minute. Well, somebody had to. Yeah. yeah. And like no yeah. one else was. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to yeah. his credit, he isn't doing any of these interviews. Like he is stepping out of the spotlight. He didn't want an Oscar. You know, I think even that has been yeah. a good move on his but I, but he people, did, He did tweet like an animated gif of him and Barry Jenkins hugging that someone <laughs> made. Not like, like, nice. like a cartoon gif that someone drew of the two of them. So. Wow. And, and he has a halo and is actually an angel wing in the, uh, in the picture but it's fine I mean, he's been given the nobel peace prize, yeah. <laughs> which i think is an overstep by sweden but i'm bobby finger and i'm Lindsay weber do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say who the heck is that our podcast who weekly is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't think of us as your cheat code to people magazine your glossary for hollywood a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.
So we talked about how Moonlight didn't get its moment. Should we give Moonlight its moment right now? I don't yeah. think we talk about this enough in our post-Oscar episode. So Richard, Joanna, we all had a listener kind of tweet an article he wrote at us about yeah. kind of like figuring out how he predicted Moonlight correctly. I think that's a really interesting way to look into how it won. Yeah, he's this film critic, a young guy named Daniel Joyot, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He has this great, interesting, compelling theory about, with the preferential ballot system, why Moonlight might have won. Joanna, what was the kind of math there? How would he figure it out? Because you read it, too. He used this to correctly predict Spotlight last year, too. And his website is thirdmanmovies.blogspot.com, just if you want to look up this article yourself. Right. So the way he explained it is the way the preferential ballot works is if you've got a close race, like between Moonlight and La La Land, and so neither clears 50% of the number one spot in the first round of voting, the next thing that happens is So you have that, to win more than 50%. You have to be number one on more than 50% yeah. of ballots to win Best Picture outright. So the next thing that happens is that the ballots that had the movie with the least number of votes, let's say the least popular movie that was, you know, voted for this year was Hidden Figures, let's say. That was like a low Hidden Figures and Fences, let's say. And Hell or High Water. He also named Hell or High Water. Since they had the lowest number of nominations total. Right. So those are the three least likely to be anyone's number one choice. So on those ballots where Hidden Figures, Hell or High Water, and Fences are the number one spot, Mm. those get knocked out in the number two choice from those ballots now becomes the number one. So the way you can try to figure out what the tiebreaker will be is by looking at those low likely movies and what those people would likely vote for as their second choice. This is very complicated, very interesting. Yeah. So he says, smart. now try and get in the heads of the people that think that those three are the best films of the year. What might they think is second best? All three films are character-driven dramas about social justice. Two are indies, two are about African-Americans. For all three films, it seems far more likely that their vote would gravitate more towards Moonlight being higher on their ballots than they would La La Land. And he did a similar thing for Spotlight last year where he said... What do we think the taste of the people who would rank Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, and Room as the best one of the year? That they like quiet, measured art house dramas, and that means the majority of those folks would likely reallocate to Spotlight rather than the big short. And so, yeah, I'm like, that's brilliant. I didn't understand that about preferential ballots. I think we've got a, an interesting metric. Should we have a close race again next year? And he lays it out really well. Again, it's third man movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Joyot. He lays it out clearly, succinctly. Who knows if it's right? It sounds right to me. I mean, you're obviously you know. speculating a lot and making a yeah. lot of assumptions yeah people but i mean it makes a lot of sense yeah and you know i think we spoke about it briefly on the monday episode that like in terms of predicting and and the sort of game that we're in this best picture thing we do have to really start thinking about it in a different way you know because it does work very differently but the the key insight here which i had never thought of is that it's much more valuable to be the second choice of people who choose the worst movie of yeah. the year, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Then not the, the second worst, best movie, yeah, not yeah. worst, but the but the kind of the, the most hopeless. Let's yeah. put it that the way. Stragglers. Like, yeah, so yeah. It's a being, secret asset. Being yeah. second place to the La La Land voters is useless. Doesn't matter. It's really who's second place in the first ones that get eliminated. And there's a threshold of what is it, fifty one percent or something? Yeah. What, wherever the threshold is, like. They're they're not going to eliminate all the movies. Generally speaking, no. they're going to only right. going to they're going to start from the bottom and move up. So they the, probably the only Drake get clause. through like one or two rounds. I mean, really, realistically, it's it's not like it's going to go you know so deep. But like, it's yeah. probably they eliminate two ballots or whatever. It could be four or five, but but yeah, interesting. It's the Drake factor. The started from the bottom. Sorry, I kill, I'm going to commit suicide <laughs> right now. Oh, your love of Canadian music has undone you once again. <laughs> 
I'll see you in Toronto. <laughs> this is the perfect time for me to apo- send my apologies to Mike Hogan. On Monday, early in the morning, you graciously, well, you didn't need to apologize, but you know, you said that you had sort of talked me out of Moonlight as Best Picture. And I want to say that I apologize for dismissing your love of that Justin Timberlake song because it has been stuck in my head <laughs> after the Oscars. It's a great song. You're right. I was wrong. All right. I'm quitting this podcast. Everyone <laughs> else Goodbye. disagrees with both of us. But thank you, Joanna, for joining my little podcast of now too. <laughs> so I'm looking back at our Oscar predictions, which I think, you know, the morning after the Oscars, I think we all had kind of a morning after the election feeling different emotions, but like, how did we get it so wrong? We were all wrong. And as Mike I accurately predicted, this is a year for everyone to predict things incorrectly because yeah. I don't know, the moon is in the seventh house or something. Yeah. But we actually did better on our group predictions. I think on this podcast, we might have gone all over the place. It was a wider ranging discussion, but we predicted La La Land would win Best Picture, but we accurately predicted all four of the acting categories. By the way, uh, I want to say La La Land kind of did win Best Picture. No. Can I just say that, everybody? <laughs> Everyone out there? I, a white man, oh. would like you to know. Uh, as a white male, I'd like to point out it practically won. <laughs> Oh boy! Sorry. Uh, we got all we got the screenplay categories right. We got cinematography. We missed film editing. We thought that would be La La Land. Uh, it went to Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, we can talk about that. That's that was an all the editing, the sound mixing and sound editing is when I knew La La Land was really like in trouble. But did you really think it wasn't going to win Best Picture? No. Yeah, it's really. I still thought it would win Best Picture. Yeah, it was. But but uh, but it was. Uh, it was not having the kind of like tr- coronation night that it's. Yeah, I I figured it would. I mean, I thought if it was going real well, it would have won both of those. And if it was going as well it as we figured, one. it would have won one. And when it won neither, I'm like, woo. Yeah, yeah. It didn't win costume design. We predicted Jackie. I thought it might be La La Land, but it was meant to Colleen Atwood for Fantastic Beasts. Never. No, she's won like seven Oscars. I know. Like, we yeah. should never. I know. Never. And Which Joanna called that. Joanna predicted on the podcast. Yeah, she did. We predicted oh Star Trek Beyond for makeup, and it went to Suicide Squad. Well, I just and and several Which of you Joanna need to leave the country now. Wrong on the podcast and now has to move. Yeah, to no, um, I'm moving to Uruguay with Barry Jenkins, Andrew Garfield. There's a bunch of us from, yeah. from this podcast. <laughs> we're all, Damien Chazelle. Yeah, we're starting a, a colony. And and the Oscars are just going to be owned yeah. communally. Kevin O'Connell's going to do our sound mixing down there. Oh so. yeah, well Kevin O'Connell, hey, <laughs> yeah. he has an Oscar now. He doesn't yeah. need anything to do. Colleen Atwood will just personally <laughs> stitch all the she's, clothes. She's maybe yes. some nice pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we should note that uh, even though we went two for three on our shorts predictions, which is still pretty good, given that the shorts are so dang hard to predict. And it was a really hard, weird year for yeah, them. Yeah, uh, but, but uh, I got Mike them all personally right got them all right on Gold Derby. That's literally the only thing I can say that's good. About what what, what, what was the one that we we diverged on? Sing, sing. Oh right, of course. But I, in fairness. I had originally had Watani for a long time, and then I realized that literally no one else on planet Earth agreed with me. So I switched to the, White Helmets. It's still the best one. It's still the best one. Yeah. I don't think I told you guys this, but I saw the White Helmets producer changing her dress in the bathroom at the Vanity Fair party while her friends had her Oscar outside. I love it. <laughs> it Is that nice. Netflix's first Oscar? Oh, God. For like an original thing. I think it might yeah, be. Yeah, I think. I thought Netflix and Amazon both got their first, won their Oscars. first Oscars. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and they, uh, Amazon with Manchester, they. Uh, they Your next crackle. <laughs> <laughs> Better Google it because every time we make a mistake, we get like 400 tweets. I know. I was so the... sorry that I forgot the spotlight only won two Oscars. I will guys. say it thank was you. six in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everyone, for tweeting at us during the show. I oh, mean, my it was God. Nice to yeah. see a, yes. like, a lot of listeners, you know, yeah. engaging and it was telling such me to move a blast. to Uruguay. And, you know, like, <laughs> It was it was fun. Yeah, no, yeah. all the callbacks were really Move fantastic. Move to Uruguay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. CNN.com ha- says historic victories for ESPN, Netflix, and Amazon. So oh, Netflix, yeah. uh, ESPN too with their doc. Oh, so God. TV really has taken over. I mean, yeah. Is, so yeah, movie industry is doing great, everybody. <laughs> I wanted to go back to Moonlight for a second because Richard I was talking to you yesterday about how the win for Moonlight, it's the first LGBTQ film, which is yeah, a weird descriptor, but picture. like so the first 
the film with an LGBTQ character in the center to win. Uh, and it's the first by a black writer slash director, like who wrote and directed both. But 12 Years a Slave obviously had a black director and a separate person who was a writer who was black. But it also has this weird distinction of being two films by black directors that did not win Best Director. There's yeah. still never been a black Best Director winner. Which is that right? It's uh, crazy. Yeah. Never. Uh, Steve McQueen, I believe, lost but, off you know, But own. just to go back real quick to the – that really shows that – the different way of voting, right? Because best picture is done by the preferential right. ballot, yeah, and, and best director is just, just straight done up the straight majority. who yeah. got the most votes. Yeah. So, in all likelihood, La La Land had the most votes, but mm-hmm. not enough, and that's when you start pulling up. So, I I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at Hacksaw Ridge, I said this on Monday, but I'll say it again: like Hacksaw Ridge winning best editing and Chazelle winning best director. And then Moonlight still prevailing in Best Picture. It's like that is yeah. preferential system benefits, and and I think you know I, I think that that's fine. I think it benefits. But, you know, and you had said Hacksaw Ridge might have been. I wonder know. if some of the oldest voters had Hacksaw won La La Land two, and thus kind of chipped away at La La Land's you know that's number one votes. Yeah, if La La Land was the second favorite of Hacksaw Ridge voters, and Hacksaw Ridge got a lot of votes, that's actually bad for La La Land. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. that's very. Yeah. I thought Manchester would be more of a factor in all of this, but I mean, who knows? Maybe it was. We're all just kind of guessing about how these preferential ballots work. The other metric about Moonlight's historic win is that it's the first film with an all-black cast to win an Oscar. Yeah. And I think what that means is that it's missing that sort of white savior element that we often see in films about African-Americans that get into the Oscar race. Yeah. And so that there are no white characters savior or otherwise in this film. It's just about the past experience. That's why we had to have Jordan Harwood. Yes. yes. He's the the Emma Stone of this help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank goodness. We almost made it through without a white savior. Although, I, now, see, I'm doing it now after <laughs> complaining about it. It is worth saying that 12 Years a Slave does not. I mean, 12 Years a Slave has white characters who are not monsters like Michael Fassbender's character, but it does not fall into the white savior trope. I think it's important. I mean, well, Brad Pitt's Brad character. Pitt sort of rescues, rescues him I from mean, slavery in I the mean, end. It's a, Canadian saint Producer Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt well, <laughs> cast himself. Pro- I, I have an produce, idea for what my character can be. I'll be producer Brad Pitt also <laughs> was behind uh, Moonlight, though. That's, a, That's he, true. I, don't, I actually don't know why he wasn't on the famous envelope that Jordan Horvitz held up because he it planned be produced because well, they limit the amount of producers right oh is that so what maybe it is he wasn't well, that, that was another interesting thing of the hollywood reporter thing is that plan b's other producer dini garner was not at the ceremony yeah and they won't really say why oh boy the drama from these oscars the other producers coming. were asked why she wasn't there and they're like she's our partner but i didn't say why she wasn't there so yeah. that's like mystery so i think this no black Best director winner thing is going to become embarrassing real fast. I yeah. think that's something that yeah, they're I mean, really going to need to. Fa- it's like, it, no, it's already embarrassing, yeah. but I think it's going to become the focus. I hope um, so. <clears throat> you know, Moonlight winning is obviously this enormous accomplishment, yeah. but it's high time for a black person to win best director. Yeah, well, we have you know D. Rees who directed Mudbound, that was a big hit at Sundance, yeah. coming down the pike. So yeah. maybe mm-hmm. that'll be something. I kind of feel like Ava DuVernay is really well positioned to do this. I don't know that A Wrinkle in Time is going to be the big Oscar. Who knows? Yeah, I'm no. psyched yeah. about it. Yeah, but yeah, I do feel like that narrative is going to pick up steam. Yeah, and should. Maybe it'd be Barry Jenkins. Who knows? Yeah, he just can't wait eight years yeah. to make his next I, movie. I don't think he would prefer to wait eight yeah. years either. Yeah. Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling already have that Neil Armstrong movie coming like next year. So get ready for them to be back in the fray. Oh, boy. And, and Emma Stone's playing the moon. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You're the just best, Richard. <laughs> You're just yeah. the best. Yeah. <laughs> Steve McQueen has Widows coming, right? Oh, he does? I was wondering what Steve McQueen's up that, to. That movie sounds fascinating. What is it? Yeah. It's a remake of a British miniseries, I believe, Joanna. Is that right? Yeah, a TV show. About criminals who die and then their wives 
decide to finish the crime for them. Oh my god! And it's Viola Davis and uh, Cynthia Erivo from The Color Purple. Uh, Andre cow. Holland, I think, is playing one of the widows. So I think he's what? like a gay wit. I think a gay twist. There's somebody else who's been cast. Uh, it looks like a uh, Daniel. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Kaluuya, who is the star of Get Out, oh, uh, the Get number, out. One, number yeah. one movie of the weekend. Oh, he's great. And then yeah. Gillian Flynn from Gone Girl is writing it. That's right. Jeez. It was like a 70s TV show that Steve McQueen like grew up loving. Widows. Mm. Yeah, I had never heard of it, but it's this female-fronted sort of like 70s badass ladies doing crime show that you watched on British television. Also on the IMDb list are uh, Michelle Rodriguez and Elizabeth Debicki. So. I mean, that's an amazing <laughs> that's cast. An incredible yeah. cast. That's incredible. So I don't know if it's, yeah. if it's like Oscar-friendly, but, you know. It's, it's Richard-friendly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm here to talk to you about hashtag tripod. It's an effort that we're making all of this month to help people tell their friends about podcasts that they would love. There are a lot of people who still don't really get podcasts. We love that you guys listen to this, and obviously we have a lot of podcasts we love ourselves, but we want to spread the word. So right now we want to ask you to think of someone, a friend, your mom, anyone you care about, to tell them about a podcast that they would really love. Now think about that podcast. One that we were thinking of is our friend Phoebe Robinson's So Many White Guys. That's so with three O's. Hopefully you heard and saw Phoebe on our Oscar Night live stream. She has that podcast plus Two Dope Queens, both of them with WNYC Studios. They're wonderful. So maybe you know someone who would love those. Now think of that person. Think of how they would want to listen to Phoebe's podcast and tell them about it in real life on social media. And if they don't know how to download podcasts, now is a great time to show them. So once you do that, tell us that you recommended it with the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod, like try podcast. And we'll thank you for spreading the word about all of the great podcasts that people in your world might love. Um, What else? I have to say, I think Brian Gosling's is the hero we deserve in that Moonlight La La Land handoff because his face, his face is clearly, oh shit, and like this is great. I do remember seeing live Emma Stone standing in the background, mouthing, "Oh my god, yeah. oh my god," and I yeah. didn't know at the time. Like I just thought she was excited at the time, but you can see the panic in her eyes. I mean, how many times have you watched the video of that moment? I can't, I can't. I mean, I, I, I can't stop. I, had, I, I literally screamed, put a sweatshirt over my head, and ran to the other side of the apartment when it was. <laughs> Happening, it was so horrifying and now twitter is making me relive it it's, it's traumatic I, I can't oh, do it i will never watch it again i can't stop watching it's it. the most embarrassing like ugh, ugh. but i'm also mouthing oh my god it's seared in my brain yeah i know yeah. well the the audience shot of meryl's face is my favorite and then which we talked about on monday but also the rock has since like posted <laughs> that famous la times photo on his instagram oh my god where he talks about how he would have like trampled over meryl to put things right to make sure moonlight got to give their speech no, no, no. He was like, no one was clarifying what was happening. And I was about to run up on stage and try to make sense of it all. Which I would have welcomed. So I said, I think in Slack last week that The Rock will host the Oscars within 10 years. I'm revising that to five. I think he'll be nominated in under five. That sounds great. Yeah. I don't know what he's going to do. Supporting to get role. I, I had sort of put it out on Twitter. I think it'll be a supporting role and he'll be like someone at like AA or, rec- or or like someone's sponsor, uh, like that kind of like, uh-huh. kind of like, like in the inspiration. Like yeah. He's not troubled he's like the or was like robin williams and google hunting yes, or he's gonna give one of those mike hogan snot crying speeches that mike hogan likes talking <laughs> no, about no i feel like he's got to win on the charm winner. it's got to be like a christoph waltz like he doesn't I, have to I be think, a bad guy i think robin williams and google hunting is exactly the right uh, thing yeah. i'm thinking of it's like a therapeutic kind of yeah supportive supporting role it's, it's not your fault yeah so um, someone's got to write it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It's just, they're remaking google hunting 20 years later <laughs> 
I mean, when it's he really sang exciting. on stage, when he's like, they didn't invite me to sing, but I'm just going to sing anyway. I was like, go for it, Rock. Yeah. Just like sing all of Moana if you want to. I know. We should talk about the, um, so the ratings for this particular telecast were quite low. Nine year low. What was nine years ago? That was no country for old men year, I guess. Mm, yeah. yeah. There are two factors that people are talking about. One is host. Cause like apparently it was ABC who really wanted Jimmy Kimmel, you know, as their own sort of like cross promotional. This is our late night host. I saw some like Oscar pundits, whoever talking about how they'll get a higher profile star to host next year. Like it's not going to be Kimmel. So it could be someone like the rock or like Hugh Jackman, you know what I mean? Like to get someone with star quality to is host. Hugh Jackman more famous than Jimmy Kimmel at this point. I mean, I guess he's, famous no i don't mean next year i mean when when jackman hosted as an example of like an a-list actor or b whatever you want to call you jackman yeah i think they're gonna have jordan horwitz (laughs) great idea (laughs) with ryan gosling i mean i thought i thought kimmel was great but you know it's true that like maybe the rock hosting would put more butts in front of the tvs and then the other Mm. you know obviously thing that people always talk about is like put more audience friendly films in contention and so nominate deadpool and i'm just like please don't nominate deadpool just just, so more so are deadpool fans gonna tune into the oscars like (laughs) to see if it's win? i don't i don't know i just think it's a total losing battle like it's never you're never gonna get the ratings you got for titanic the The world is completely different keep going down and, and they might cares? even not even this whole television broadcast might not even exist in yeah, it'll be a years. live stream or hosted by the yeah. rock so they should just be maximizing the you know experience of it across all platforms and stop worrying so much about the ratings you know like cable has done for years and the cw does start focusing on the value of the viewer like which what yes. what kind of viewers do you have and you still have a good number of you know yeah yeah um, you've got a huge chunk of the kind of sophisticated educated yeah. you know people in this country in and all yeah. around the world mm-hmm. watching you know they had a massive rolex about... ad clearly the advertisers are figured it out yeah. that like they'll pay to get to this specific audience who isn't the deadpool fans they don't want the deadpool yeah, fans. i don't want to throw in the towel but like it's just don't dilute what the oscars is just to get uh, just exactly. to prop up a number that is going down yeah i mean There's if our no live stream got as many viewers as it did after the oscars like clearly yeah. the engagement on twitter and facebook and god knows what else i mean joanna you watched the audience cams which apparently are fascinating oh my god but please academy if you're listening to this and of course you are <laughs> get someone else to host your live stream next year i'm sorry that i don't know his name but there's one guy who like knew plenty about movies and like is a professional at this and then they got the guy who plays barry on the goldbergs who's great on the goldbergs but like had nothing to say oh about that's the some bad abc synergy at work yeah there. except yeah. to say that's awesome like literally said that a oh, hundred times so yeah get someone else from the goldbergs get wendy <laughs> you know, like, get someone else who would be like the best choice for host next year do you think i'm going with what a friend told me my friend sarah said kevin hart and maybe with Dwayne Johnson, like yeah. two of them. Didn't they host the MTV Movie Awards? Yeah, they did. They did. Host the MTV yeah. Movie. And Kevin Hart is the most successful comedian working right now. That feels like it would make sense. Do you feel like he'd be right for the vibe of the Oscars? I don't I mean, know much about his stand-up, Is honestly. anybody... I mean, is Kimmel right for the vibe? You know, I don't I've, know. You know, like, I, liked, I just thought Kimmel did a really good job with, like, the stuntiness versus yeah, actually he was good. making he was good. But I, I feel like he wasn't... Like, I think Kevin Hart, among other things, is very lively, and I think that might be fun. So that was just what a friend said, and I kind of agree with her. Yeah. But do you guys have any other... I like, assume they ask Meryl every year, and every year she's like, no. She could sing. No, she would be great, but I, I think she just has other things to do. That was another interesting thing about the Hollywood Reporter article that came out this morning was that in the wake of the Hindenburg, <laughs> that it might be harder to get 
get actors to present at the Oscars because they don't want to be involved in that kind of shit show. Although I think Faye Dunaway enjoyed it. Yeah, Faye Dunaway had a blast. She's Literally. more talked about on the internet than she yeah, has it's been. the biggest thing since Mommy Dearest. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like the pros really outweigh the cons. Like The odds of you doing that, especially since they're going to put God knows how many fail safes in place, I don't know. If There's going to be like a little red, um, you know, like beat, like <laughs> you dot. You be shot <laughs> yeah, if you yeah, say yeah, the exactly. wrong yeah. thing. Well, you have people like, like Jennifer Lawrence that they like obviously want to have at every ceremony and if they could have conceivably nominated her for for passengers they would have or like Ryan Gosling or like Leonardo DiCaprio who just don't want to go to the Oscars if they can help it it seems like like Leo I'm just saying that because he did the thing that he did the Golden Globes exactly which is just sneak in the back door yeah the award to Emma and then leave yeah and that's it you know so like there's plenty of A-listers in Hollywood that like don't want to be part of the Oscar circus yeah but I mean if they're not nominated you know presenters were you know, like Salma Hayek's probably always going to be game to present it. There are also a lot of actors who don't want to be part of the Oscar circus, but who nonetheless listen to their publicists. <laughs> yes. You know, like, yes, they do. Wait, so speaking of this, page six, have you guys seen this? Is now saying that Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway were fighting yes. the whole lead Sorry, up. I, I yes. heard that was, he wouldn't allow them to film their rehearsal. <laughs> Oh, the yeah, they game were, uh, is uh, well, uh, Rebecca Keegan was in there for rehearsals, and uh, she, along with the rest of the press, were not allowed to watch them rehearse. So, Ryan Murphy got a feud. What? Oh my god, we got a feud. <laughs> I'd like Ryan Murphy to host. <laughs> I want Ryan Murphy to produce and direct and like, create a really and, weird like, game. Jessica Lang like, yeah. host yeah, and character, and, and it's all like gothic and weird. <laughs> like, welcome to the Oscars. <laughs> Sarah Paulson could be yeah. Uh, <laughs> totally. Yeah, Sarah yeah. Paulson would be a great Oscar host, actually. Shirtless young men handing would out she? the awards. <laughs> I don't think Sarah's very like loose and shoot from the hip sort of thing. I was trying to think of like who I've seen on panels because panels are a good indication of can you just stand up there in the face of silliness and be very entertaining. I would put my dark horse out there for Gwendolyn Christie of Game of Thrones, oh, who is <laughs> always loopy and Amazing. weird and entertaining. That'll, that'll and bring in the viewers. Yeah, but yeah, better than Kevin Hart. Clearly, how about Gwendolyn and Aziz Ansari together? Oh, there you go. Well, That's Gwendolyn and Kevin Hart, Hart, you can. Too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, get Kevin Hart if you're going to do that. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. your real, real contrast yeah. there. This is it: Gwendolyn Christie and Kevin Hart. I think we've workshopped this to perfection. You heard it here first. I hope the ghost of Gil Cates is listening to this. And, and a Bob. Hope hologram. <laughs> so obviously we're not taking an off season this year. We'll be back. But uh, you know, just to close this out, like what's the next movie to look forward to? I know exactly what it is. What is it? The Lost City of Z. Oh yeah, that's really it's coming soon, out isn't in it? April. I saw it at New York Film Festival. It's a James Gray movie, uh, who I've never really taken to before, but this it's beautiful. It's when's, a really great movie. When is it coming out? Uh early April, I think. Um well I still haven't seen Get Out, so clearly Get that's Out's my great. first step. Personal Shopper is out in theaters, that's, so that's wonderful. The fact that Get Out was the number one movie of the weekend by a black director about white privilege the same weekend that Moonlight won ah, Best Picture so is pretty cool. <laughs> like, yeah. that's a really interesting yeah. benchmark. Yeah. I kind of think that if Get Out had come out later, like, I'm worried that it's not going to be even close to being an Oscar contention. But, like, if Get Out had come out at the end of the year, I feel like it might have even gotten, like, a screenplay or yeah. something like you that. Ne- you never know. We'll do our bold predictions next week and we can all just go hard on Get Out. I'm going to put a bit in for Logan, which comes out this Friday. And, you know, a lot of people are being hyperbolic about it. I think it's a truly great film. And I know that, like, there was this whole thing of Deadpool maybe being in the Oscar contention this year. And people are like, ugh, please. But Logan, 
I think people would take that more seriously as a potential Oscar contender. Maybe my research is terrible, but I think there hasn't been a superhero film, not even The Dark Knight, that was nominated for Best Picture. Am I wrong? No. I think this would be the first superhero Definitely film. Definitely not. Well, I think also the thing about Logan, and I have a review up on the site if people want to read it, is that Hugh Jackman, you know, this is his ninth outing, I think, as Wolverine. Holy cow. Uh, and he's so good. And it's and so it's, a, it's a genuinely great performance in this movie. Yeah. And you forget that he is such a good actor. He's not just like a charismatic guy. He's like yeah. actually like a real, you know, technician. Yeah. And there are all these references to Shane. So it like the classic Western Shane. So it gives it this extra patina of like respectability. Mm-hmm. And James Mangold is a great director. I mean, it's just it's a really, really good film. That's an interesting best actor campaign to start predicting now. You can totally see something like yeah. that. I would uh, say Charlie Hunnam for Lost Steve Z, uh-huh. uh, who, an actor who I've never really liked before. And then he just blew me away. And it's out uh, April 14th. April 14th. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's there is good stuff coming. I mean, we're and then Smurfs the Lost Village, which if that's not this year's Trolls, what is? <laughs> I don't know. Does J does JT have a tap dancing number? It's like you know? still like that song, guys. Standing by it, still like it. Mike, are you just gonna put your head in like a dark room? For- yeah, I can't even think about <laughs> movies. Don't. Well, please, we'll all- you're, you're, this is actually you're triggering me right now. <laughs> we'll all be watching Feud for uh, yeah. eight or ten weeks in the meantime. Well, that does it for today's episode. We'll be back next week to do the insane thing and start predicting next year's Oscar winners. And uh, look back at our predictions from March of 2016 about this year. So get ready for some embarrassment. I there. took a brief look. We got some things wrong. <laughs> <Let's just say laughs> <that>. <laughs> well, look forward to that bit of uh, public accountability. Uh, the light between oceans. Uh, yeah, that's a, that was actually featured pretty prominently, <laughs> which is mortifying. In, in the meantime, again, we loved hearing from you guys in the Little Goldman Twitter feed. Obviously, there's a lot less drama in the weeks to come, but please keep talking to us. It's really fun we're all on twitter on our own i'm at katie rich richard rylaws joanna joe wrote this and mike mike hogan with an underscore there you go you have to figure out where the underscore is. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening this episode was edited and produced by alana milner and thanks to laura mayer and andy bowers at panoply and this week's award for the best excuse for why our predictions from the toronto film festival were so inaccurate goes to richard lawson oh your love <laughs> of canadian music has undone you once again <laughs> Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.